Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 18. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. And today we'll be in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. <clears throat> Happy Mother's Day to everybody here. There's, uh, you know, roses. This is, um, you know, this is, this is one of those days that uh, we, we give thanks to the moms. For some of us, it's, it's painful. I, I, uh, so really our, our intent here is that every, every lady, we, we, don't, we don't keep a, a tight count of the roses. It's totally fine. Every lady can leave with a rose. Um, and so hopefully there's enough for the second service. That's like always the, it's always the, how many roses do we need? Um, but, but really happy Mother's Day. Give thanks to your mom. And, uh, and, and so we, it's, a, it's one of these days that we give thanks. Um, and so we're going to continue through our, our, our passage today. Today's passage is an interesting passage for me, but I'm going to save that for later to, to share with you guys. Um, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for this wonderful uh, gospel of Matthew. Lord, I thank you um, how you used this tax collector uh, to record the life of Christ from a very Jewish perspective. Father, I thank you how he uh, intertwines um, Scripture to authenticate who Christ is, that we can... um, that we can walk away from this gospel, Lord, with the assurance of knowing that Christ indeed fulfilled many, many prophecies. And so, Lord, as we um, come to today's study and we look at the teaching of Christ, Father, he challenges us with uh, many difficult um, things for us as, as sinful humans. Um, this whole chapter 18 dealing with relationships with one another is uh, really a gold mine. And Lord, I pray that you would help us each uh, to come to this passage, Lord, that we would allow your voice uh, to speak to us, Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you, uh, that we would be childlike before you and allow you um, to share with us your heart, Lord. May we yield our lives to you. Father, may your spirit uh, so... um, Lead us, Lord, that we would um, just be pleasing to you with our lives. Father, help us uh, to work through scars and anger and bitterness and things that are holding us back um, from fully walking with you in obedience. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times, or 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. 
And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And Father, we thank you for this word. Uh, Father, forgiveness is something that uh, can be quite difficult um, at any sort of true heart level depth. And so, Father, we come to this passage acknowledging that there are um, things that have deeply pained us, have deeply angered us, have deeply troubled us, and we um, have difficulty, Lord, um, living out this at times. And so, Father, we come before you asking that you uh, would speak through your word today. Lord, that you would help us uh, to understand uh, true forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, that you would help us um, to forgive those who have wronged us, Lord, that we would uh, release ourselves from this burden. Uh, Lord, we need your help. And so we come to you, Lord, um, asking that you would speak to each one of us this day. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're sort of, we're, we're concluding chapter 18 today, sort of the, the, the big picture of where we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Going back to, to verse 1 of chapter 18, this whole setting began as Jesus and his disciples returned to Capernaum. Uh, they were sort of met by a, a tax collector that was a special tax collector. He was a, uh, representing the, the temple and and there was an annual tax sort of levied on Jewish males that were 20 years and older um, for the operation of the tax. It, it, in today's standard of money, it would probably be about $160. Um, at a minimum wage, it's two days sort of earnings at $10 an hour, you know, 16 hours. That's 160 bucks basically by our, by our standard. Um, this whole encounter sort of led to a conversation um, amongst the disciples that, that sort of spawned a question to Jesus, asking, well, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And so Jesus sort of begins his discourse by explaining to them that they had everything backwards, that, that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's actually by becoming like a child. He pulled up a child on his lap, and, and this we, we sort of get, or maybe not on his lap, but in front of him. And, and we, during this whole teaching time, there's this, there's this image of a, of a young sort of toddler child uh, in front of Jesus, and he begins to explain to them that 
um, in the kingdom, becoming like a child, um, is how you attain greatness. He begins to share that, that, that as, a, as, as one sort of departs from the faith or runs out, that, that God cares about that one. And if you're great in the kingdom of God, you should care about the one who's strained from the faith and you should um, go to them and with the aim of restoring them. Um, all the way to last week where we sort of looked at one of these difficult passages sort of on, on church discipline and how uh, it's to be handled. Um, I think sometimes it's sort of read with the, with the wrong heart. Um, Rick mentioned that on Tuesday we wrapped up the book of James. And as we wrapped up, I was like, oh yeah, there was a verse I wanted to reference last week, but it, it eluded me. And, and James ends with these two verses that I think sort of... Um, sort of give the heart between verses uh, 15 through 20 in, in, in Matthew 18, dealing with sort of church discipline and, and, and bringing back the lost sinner. And James writes, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a, multiple, a multitude of sins. And so, so sort of with that, there's this driving force that if, if we see a brother or sister in, in Christ in sin that's strain, the, the whole Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20 or 21 uh, or 20 is not really sort of this flow chart for how we can sort of kick people out of the church. It's more of the heart for, for those who have strayed. What's the process of getting them back? How do we deal with their sin? Because our heart is that we want them to be restored to God. And by the end of it, um, sort of the, the, the idea is if they've gone that route, it's not so much that, they're, they, that, that the church is excommunicating them. It's sort of the idea that the church is acknowledging that they've departed and they're not a part of it and sort of recognizing what's happened. Um, and, <clears throat> and so going through this chapter, we realize, I, I, when I look at this chapter, the more I consider this chapter, I realize that from heaven's vantage point, there's two groups of people. There's unsaved sinners and there's saved sinners. And, and so when we're dealing with sinners in any sort of community, whether it's family, marriage, church, when, when sinners, i.e. humans, are involved, there's going to be difficulties. There's, 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 there's going to be things that are hard to deal with. And so Jesus is sort of outlining how, how do you, as a follower of the king, what's your heart in, in dealing with people, in, in working with these relationships? Um, throughout this week, I, you know, I've been thinking about the Howards a lot for whatever reason. I think I'm constantly kind of picking on Ben for fun stuff. You know, it goes back and forth. And, and uh, one of the things that Beth said to me that, I, that really never went away has really nothing to do with this passage, but I... Uh, but when we went to the South and every meal came with gravy, we were trying to figure out, like, how do you apply gravy? Like, from a Southern perspective, like, when the breakfast comes and there's gravy, are you supposed to dunk it? Are you supposed to pour it? And she was like, there's no rules. Gravy is sort of like the duct tape for the meal. It, like, holds it all together, and there, you, can really, you can really do a lot with gravy. And so taking what she said, I've had that saying, and I've... I've sort of have in my mind that the Christian life, that forgiveness is sort of the duct tape to our relationships. 
because there's going to be hurt and pain and struggle. and There's no way of avoiding it. And so as we live our life, we've received forgiveness from Christ. I don't even think that we fully grasp how much forgiveness we've received. And as we've received it, then we've sort of been issued this duct tape roll of, of forgiveness or like graving. We're supposed to just, this is how we keep our relationships together. Because as you live life and as you're engaged in relationships with people, um, you need forgiveness. And so Peter, after Jesus gives this teaching sort of on discipline and how do you handle the brother that's sort of strayed and you've gone through all of these processes and the, the, the person continues to, to wrong you. Peter asks this very complex question. Like before we start going hard on Peter, what Peter asks is profound. He understands the, the pain and the sorrow and the, the real world of relationships. And so in verse 21, Peter comes to him and he says, well, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Like, how many times am I required to forgive? And he says, you know, he says up to seven times. Now, what we need to understand is the Jewish, the Jewish teaching of the day, the understanding of rabbis, I, I think that they had baseball in mind. Three strikes and you're out. The Jewish law, it said you were obligated to forgive three times. On the fourth time, there's no obligation. And so when Peter suggests seven times, this is a huge, gracious above and beyond the, the number that was ever suggested by any of, of their spiritual leaders. How many times are we obligated to forgive Jesus? And sort of thinking through Peter's question, uh, the same question, how, how often are we obligated to forgive as followers of Christ? How, how do we handle with difficult uh, situations? Pondering this, um, this section of this chapter, one of the, the, the things that sort of has been surfacing in my mind was the, the Charleston shooting. And, and uh, seeing these dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I like it, goose bumps, just thinking about how the, the families, the, those that were shot and killed in cold blood in church, how their families sort of, addressed and confronted the the shooter sort of has me like in total awe like how how does god's grace abound in this way one of the one of the people whose i I believe it was her father was shot and killed as she addressed the confronter the the shooter in court like day like days like i doubt they'd even had the funeral at the at this point um she says to the shooter, I am a work in progress, and I acknowledge that I am very angry. We are the family that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive you. Like, I watch these testimonies on, like, on TV, and it's like they have me in tears. Like, how, how, like how is like, the evidence of God's working in their life was so powerful to me that they're able to look at this person who killed their family members, and to respond in, in rawness. Um, and so I keep thinking, well, are there conditions to forgiveness? Like, like is forgiveness 
Like no matter what the incident is, forgiveness automatic, that it's, that, 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 that it's totally mandatory, totally automatic, that there's no conditions on it. Is it two-sided? Does, does forgiveness require for me to forgive that the other person has to do something, or is it one-sided? It's just all on me. Um, are we just supposed to, you know, forgive and forget? Are we just supposed to forget? Or are we just supposed to forgive? Like, how, how, do, how do these little sayings, like, really work out in, in the real life? Like, for a cheating spouse or a child that's been molested, somebody who's been abused, the court system amongst believers. I've heard a story about a Christian person who owed a guy $10,000, and he said, well, it's too bad that I'm a Christian that you can't sue me. How do we handle stuff like this? murder when do we when do we cover a, a sin that somebody's done to us or when do we address it these are difficult questions and i and i'll be the first to admit that i don't have all of the answers of how it works or how it plays out in every situation um, I, I i find it kind of the irony of this passage today for me of all like I, I, uh, that I'm having, that we're just coming through Matthew, we've been chugging along for over a year, and then I come to this section on forgiveness on Mother's Day, which, which my biological bomb, I think that, that in my childhood and the abuse that I went through and having to testify against her in court as an 11-year-old, like, one of the things that I think God has done the greatest work in my life and, and the subject matter that I've had to sort of deal with in my Christian faith is sort of is the issue of forgiveness and how does it play itself out and, and, and are there, like, like, like how, 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 do you, how do we deal with this? I don't think that the world offers like a, 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 a good answer or they don't really deal with forgiveness and sort of, with any sort of depth and acknowledging like sort of the difficulties or the, the true strains. I see it all the time. Somebody's like shot and killed. The body's like still in the street and the community saying, well, we forgive you. Like we're just, and they just kind of walk away and not deal with stuff. And so Peter here asked a really good question. Like this isn't some, Like Peter, in the context of dealing with sin and how you're supposed to handle it, and Peter goes to him and says, Lord, how, how often are we supposed to forgive? Like he acknowledges that, we're supposed, that forgiveness is it's understood. It's, it's just assumed that forgiveness is, for, for a, a follower of the king, that, that forgiveness is a natural thing. And he says, well, how often do we forgive? The, the, the rabbis say three times. But he suggests doubling it and adding one, like this number of perfection, seven times? Like, how do we go about this? And so Jesus says to him, he responds in verse 22, and he says, I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Some translation will say 77. Some, if you take this, the, the, the math here, Ruth posted something on my wall, really funny. She's like, Oh, great. Now not only do we have to deal with forgiveness, we have to deal with math. And so, so just to help you, 490 times. Um, uh, before we get wrapped around the number, the, the issue is not the number. Jesus is throwing out some crazy, like, some crazy number to sort of, to sort of make his point 
Peter. Uh, forgiveness, there's an unlimited amount of times. Your posture, your, your heart should always be sort of postured and positioned that you desire forgiveness. In dealing with this, and I understand that there, are, there, I understand there are Christians that I will probably differ with on this. That's okay. I, um, when I look at this forgiveness, sometimes where I see the the confusion amongst Christians or culture is forgiveness doesn't always it's it's not synonymous with sort of consequences. So so. so Forgiveness isn't, there's, there's an unlimited avail- availability of forgiveness that's offered. But there, there seems to be, looking at God's example, looking through the scriptures, that, that there are conditions to forgiveness. And this could be sort of difficult to articulate. And I hope that I do okay. But in the, in the immediate context already, just last week, why I say there's, there has to be, there's, there seems to be conditions is Jesus had just said in verse 15, if we go back to verse 15, it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have, your, you have won your brother. That's the ideal situation. Your, your brother sins against you. Something happens. And you go to the person, you say, you know, you sinned against me. This happened. This is what scripture, like you, you really, um, you hurt me or you hurt this individual or whatever it is. And and ideally, the person says, oh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I was wrong. I sinned against you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Verse 15, if that's, the, if that's the outcome, you've won your brother back. It needs to go no further. But then the whole situation goes all the way down to where you go through all of these things. And if they, if they don't respond, sort of the idea is that they're, they're sort of out of the church, that they're, they're, they're to be treated like a lost person, that they're not a part of the fellowship. And so there's, there's some conditions on just in this very context. Um, I, I think how we process this, as I look at this subject of forgiveness, which we probably could take like a six-month time to focus and study on uh, week after week, um, I think that when we are confronted with somebody hurting, like we're talking sin, right? What the Bible lays out, not just like your feelings got hurt over something that's like our posture. I think what Jesus is getting at, that our posture, like our, our, our default position is forgiveness. As so much as it depends on you, Romans uh, twelve eighteen says, if possible, so far it depends that you be at peace with all men. That, that as followers of Christ, our default position is no matter how many times this person has wronged me, my default position is I will forgive them. It's not simple. I'm not saying it's simple. I'm not saying that there's some condition. I'll get into sort of some things later on. But we see that the example of our Lord is that he like that, that God is so patient and he forgives and he forgives and he forgives. I don't get it. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, like in our sinful fleshly perspective, it, it, it's, it's difficult, I think, for us to, to fathom the, the long suffering of God. 
his patience, his kindness. Um, like is Jesus saying when he, Jesus says up to 77 times, like questions, like about conditions, like is he saying, like if a Christian is outright sinning, like nothing but forgiveness should be rendered. Well, I just mentioned last, like in the immediate context, it goes through this whole progression, progression of where like sort of excommunication is sort of like where, the, where a brother is sort of acknowledged like you're no longer in the fold. Um, what about if a husband cheats 490 times on his, on his wife? Should he be taken back? Forgiveness, no conditions. Well, I know Jesus isn't saying that because in the very next chapter, I'm already looking forward to the wonderful study next week on divorce. <laughs> like Jesus is like into the nitty gritty. Like in the very next chapter, the very next thing we're moving into, Jesus is going to acknowledge the hardness of man's heart. And there are conditions where divorce has been, is, 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 is available and it is an option. He doesn't say it's necessarily the ideal choice or God's, but he, but there's some, there's, he says sometimes there's, there's a place for divorce. So the Bible doesn't necessarily seem to, to teach automatic forgiveness without consequences. Um, like just in the simple fact that there's people in hell. That, that seems to be an indicator that there are conditions on forgiveness. That, that forgiveness is infinite. God is gracious. Um, forgiveness is available to all, but not all are saved. So Jesus died on the cross for everyone. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to heaven. There are certain conditions for the, for the sinner. How do we handle the gospel? So forgiveness doesn't necessarily bring reconciliation or restoration. I, I will address this a little bit um, later on. But one commentator on Jesus' response here, what he says uh, in, in other words, there is no limit and no place for keeping a tally of forgiveness already used up. Peter's question was misconceived. If one is still counting, however, quote unquote, generously, one is not forgiving. And so to illustrate what Jesus means on his response to Peter, because these two verses are really short, right? Peter comes up to him, he says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Uh, up to seven times? And Jesus in response said, I, I don't say up to you seven times, but, but up to 70 times seven. And if we were to go into Luke's account, I believe it's in Luke 17, verse four or three, somewhere early on. There Luke records that Jesus even said, if he, if he sins against you seven times a day, you're still to forgive him. And so to illustrate his point, the rest of today's story is Jesus is going to tell a story, this this masterful storyteller he is, is going to tell the story to, to make his case uh, to, so that we as his followers would understand forgiveness. What does it mean as Christians, as followers of Christ, what does it mean to be a forgiving people? Like to think about Jesus on the cross, like, like, like we, you know, the, the sayings of the cross, we sort of read them and one of them is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. In the Greek, that's, that's, that's in the tense where it wasn't a one-time statement. It's literally through the whole process, Jesus is saying that over and over again, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. 
Like, that's an amazing picture of forgiveness to me. We'll never, this side of the heaven, I don't think that we can fully understand how bad our sin is and what Jesus did for us, how much forgiveness has been given up to us. Um, because we all think that we're pretty good people and we're, you know, it's, our sin's not really that bad. And so Jesus is going to tell this story. And he says in verse 23, for this reason, right, for this reason, what reason? This, 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 unli- this posture of his followers, that, that our posture should be at all costs, as everything is, as, so far as it depends on me, everything, forgiveness is still on the table. Forgiveness is still on the table. Forgiveness is still on the table. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Um, some suggest that these probably aren't slaves. These are more like officials underneath the, the, the king. And so this king wants to sort of settle his accounts. He's gone through his accounting books. He says, oh, it's time to sort of settle, settle the issues. We need to sort of get everything sort of, all my, my P's and Q's in order. Everything's got to get, it's a new fiscal year. We've got to get everything sort of accounted for. And so when he began to settle them, there was one who owned, owed him 10,000 talents. So this guy who owes him 10,000 talents uh, was brought to him. Now, how many of you guys, does a, does a 10,000 talents mean anything to anybody in this room? It does to me only because I looked it up. <clears throat> so to put this in perspective, one talent... So one talent is equivalent to 15 years' salary for the average worker. So the, so the amount of de- so what this guy owes him, based on the average salary, this guy owes him 150,000 years of salary. This number is the highest number when you're counting, when you're writing out the words in Greek for counting. This is the highest number available. One translator suggested that the word that we could use is zillions. I kind of think billions of billions of zillions to infinity plus one. You know, as a kid, that's how we would like this is this is a huge number. This is a number that is ridiculous there's no way this guy's paying this back there's there it's just not it's impossible so this guy that owes him this much money is brought before the king but since he did not have the means to repay you should all laugh at this this is like of course he didn't have the means to repay this as we look at this guy what jesus is trying to show us is that we before God, each one of us, we have not the resources to pay back the penalty of our sin. None of us. Not not even close. You do all the good works of your whole life, you're like so far short, like there is no way I could ever pay back 150,000 years of salary to anyone. He did not have have the means. There's no way he could have. He... He could sell everything that he had, you know, a million times, and maybe he might have enough. So his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife 
and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Basically, you're going to my prison. Your wife and family are going to my prison. Everything that you have is being liquidated and you're in there to the day you die because there's no way you're going to be able to pay this back. So the slave fell to the ground prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. He can't, he, can't, he can't repay him everything. But he's pleading for his life, for his family's life. I, 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 I think of people who have got themselves in this situation and they think of their innocent children, that, that, the, that, the, that this man is responsible. He's pleading for everybody. Lord, take it out on me. Let them go. They're innocent. Anything, let me... like. Please be gracious to me. And so we're told that the Lord of the slave, he felt compassion and he released him and forgave him the debt like he cleared it out. We're just zero it out. I don't even know the shows on TV anymore, but one of the shows that I like whenever, like every now and again, I'll find myself like in a hotel or somewhere and I see the show come on. I love the undercover boss. Like the thing I love about this show the best is like they go through, you know, the boss who's like CEO, paper pusher, like he gets slung into some like heavy duty hard work and he gets to meet the employees. They have no idea who he is. And at the end, the employees sort of come thinking they're going to give a critique of this guy who's, you know, applying for some show, whatever. And they come to see like, oh, Frank, who, why, you're all cleaned up. They're like, well, actually, I'm the CEO of fill in the blank of the company. And so they go through, he goes through and he talks to the individuals and and often, some huge gift is given to the individual. Like they find out, oh, you're, this, this employee of theirs has been taking care of his mom with cancer and trying to put his kids through school, and he has nothing, and he's in debt. Like, and the boss says, we're going to write you a check for $50,000 to sort of to pay off your mortgage. To, here's $10,000 for each one of your kids to go to school. Like it's normally something amazing. And one thing I've noticed, like at the end of this, like every time I've seen like the end of it, I don't even have to see the beginning of it to see that last like five minutes. I'm in tears watching how these people respond. Like they just like fall to the ground. Like I remember one lady was like, she just looked at me. She's like, can I have permission to give you a hug? And she like just goes up and gives the guy a hug and it's like ball and it's like so overwhelmed. Like this is the sort of the situation this guy's mortgage has been paid off. Everything's been like free and clear. 150,000 years of debt has been relieved. And so Jesus moves on in the story. But that slave, he went out and he found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. So, you guys, you guys didn't know talents, so I'm guessing you don't know denarii. Neither did I. <laughs> Is this hundred denarii was like a hundred days' wages? So, so we're talking. This guy just got relieved of a hundred and fifty thousand, hundred and fifty thousand years. Which I really, if I thought about this, I should have done the math. hundred and fifty thousand times three hundred sixty. How many days is that? It's more than my little brain can figure out, right? Which is off the top of my head, and my phone's all the way over there, so I can't really do this. Um, 100 days. 
this is a couple thousand bucks. This is something totally, totally payable. He finds one of his slaves who owes him 100 denarii, 100 days wages. And he seized him and he began to choke him. Saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to play with him. Look at the words, have patience with me and I will repay you. Everything's identical except one word. The guy uh, with 150,000 years, the guy who's doing the choking in this situation, he, he added a word, I will pay back everything. But the words are the same. Have patience with me and I will repay you. Pleading his case. Have mercy on me. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in, in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. This is such a beautiful picture that Jesus is telling. Like, Jesus is a masterful storyteller. He says, you want to understand forgiveness? There's this guy. He owes a gazillion billion dollars. He ha- Suddenly the accounts are payable. He can't pay it back. He's pleading for his life. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. It's just like you before God. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. God says, okay, I'll have mercy on you. I'll forgive you. Go live your life. And then you receiving this abundant forgiveness, this abundant grace, you have a brother or sister that says something that's just petty. And yet you want to go throw them in jail. You offer no forgiveness. You do nothing. The Jesus is making a huge, like, this should stop us all in our tracks on the issue of forgiveness. But he was unwilling and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved. Imagine these people, these fellow co I mean, these are fellow co-workers. They're aware of this huge debt. I wonder if they received the same, like, like if this was like the king went through and sort of like just relieved the debt of everybody. Like, like don't get the, don't get in your mind that oh these guys are tattletales. <laughs> like this is like oh tattletale. <laughs> like they're these are guys that saw what the king did for this man, and then they see how this man is in turn treating. Like this is not right. They're grieved. And so they came and reported to their Lord all that happened. And then summoning him, so the, the, the king summons the guy that he relieved this debt to. Then summoning him, his Lord, in verse 32, said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? This is, this is, like, this is a no-brainer question. Like As God moves in your life, as God forgives you, it should lead to life transformation. There should be change. And yet so often... God forgives us and we continue in the same cycles, in the same like, how, like did you receive this forgiveness? This, this forgiveness in the story, as I look at the Christian life, forgiveness in this heart transplant, this heart change within us, this seems to be sort of an indicator that something actually really did happen. 
And, and I think that Jesus is sort of like, we should feel deeply convicted and troubled. I know I, I did for like wrestling through with the issues with my mom. Like, have I really come into a relationship with Christ if I'm still responding this way? And if I've received this, then I, I'm sort of... And, and at the end of this story, he said, and, the, his, and this, his Lord, verse 34, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. This picture of hell, which Jesus has already sort of mentioned a couple times, that there's no way this debt is ever going to be paid back. This is like an ongoing torture for the rest of his life. And in verse 35, Jesus is sort of making his like punctuate. Just in case you missed his point, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I just wish I could see Peter's face because I, I know my face when I, when I see this and I see these commands. This, is this, true, this isn't just to Peter. This is to all of us who know Christ. And so when I look at the story, there's a couple things on forgiveness that I, I, I would like to, a couple closing points. Is first and foremost, the, the Christian standard, our model, our example of forgiveness is Christ. Um, God initiated forgiveness towards us that we might be reconciled to him. We're told in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Uh, one thing I've come to learn about forgiveness is that this is a decision. This isn't a feeling. Um, first and foremost, we recognize all that God has forgiven us, that Christ on the cross, as he was suffering and dying, he did that for my sin. He loved me, he forgave me, he poured out his grace upon me. And so as one who's received this forgiveness, this is sort of the example that I'm to have in my heart. And it doesn't always necessarily come with a feeling. Um, it's a decision. It's good for us. I, I've, I've heard it said that like bitterness, which comes from lack of forgiveness... Is like swallowing poison and hoping that the other person dies. Forgiveness, with the wisdom of, of Beth Howard, is, is the, the duct tape of the Christian life for us to have relationships. Like, we each are going to wrong each other because we're sinners saved by grace, and so we're going to make mistakes. You're going to misunderstand. And so by being a gracious people, quick to forgive, why? What's our motivation? Well, Christ forgave me, and I know that whatever you did to me was nothing compared to what I did to God. And he forgave me, so I need to forgive you. Our aim should always be reconciliation and restoration. I already read Romans twelve eighteen. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That our, our posture, our position should be that whoever it is wronged you, whatever it is, my posture is that I will forgive you. I will seek to move towards reconciliation. And sometimes 
This means that you as the offender, you need to initiate as God initiated with us. And the story that I see in the Bible is a great little, uh, like, Philemon. Maybe I'll look at it next week just to kind of put off divorce a little bit longer. I don't know. (laughs) But Philemon is this one little, it's a one-page book, but a powerful story on forgiveness. And our responsibility to move towards forgiveness. See, uh, there's a guy, his name was Philemon. He was a slave owner. He had slaves. One of his slaves stole a bunch of stuff with him, ran away, eventually found his way in prison next to Paul. He became a Christian. Different cities far away. Philemon became a believer. Paul in prison says, hey, Onesimus, you're now a believer. What's your story? Oh, I stole a bunch of stuff. I ran away. I'm a slave. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm a Christian now. What did Paul advise him to do? Okay, well, just sort of wipe your hands of it, start fresh. He said, no, what you need to do is you need to go back to Philemon. In fact, I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to pen a letter up. I know Philemon. He's a dear brother. You guys are brothers. You need to write your wrong. Take the letter and go back to him. Can you imagine that feeling of that little guy Onesimus? I don't know if he's little. Talk about doing the noble, the right, the honorable thing because Christ forgave him. He needs to go make amends. So the letter, like Paul writes in this letter, hey, listen, Onesimus, he's valuable to us for the sake of the gospel. Anything he stole from you, charge it to my account. I will repay. I will make amends. And Onesimus, as far as we know, he went back to Philemon to, to basically bring reconciliation, to say, I'm sorry. As a, as a word of instruction, there's never, I'm sorry, but. <laughs> the but always means that you're not really sorry and that it was really ultimately their fault. I'm sorry, I was wrong, I sinned against you, will you forgive me, period. Forgiveness, this is the difficult one. See, in the real world, like this, when sin is involved, sin is painful, sin is messy. Where there are sinful people involved, it doesn't always necessarily work out clean. Like verse 15, the whole where everybody forgives, that's the ideal, that's what we want. Um, but sometimes, like even God's... Um, God's standard, God, how God forgives, conditions, sometimes there's consequences. We all know when we think of David, what, do we, what, what phrase comes to your mind when you hear David? The phrase normally is a man after God's own heart. David did some pretty terrible things. Slept with a married woman, got her pregnant. He, uh, then when he was trying to cover his tracks, he tried to get the husband back from war to get the husband to sleep so that he, sleep with her so that he could sort of distance himself, like, that's not my child, but this guy's so honorable that he, while his buddies are at war, he's not going to come back and spend a night with his wife while his, while his guys are at war. So even getting, the king trying to get him drunk, the king trying to do all this stuff, so ultimately what the king does is gives him a letter, very different than the one that Paul gave to Onesimus. He carried his letter to his commander, and the letter said, hey, I want you to really go behind enemy lines, and then once you're back there, once uh, Bathsheba's husband is there, I want you to pull everybody back and let him be there so that he's killed. It's murder. That's David, the man after God's own heart. But he he understood confession. We read Psalm 51, 
We, we read these psalms where he understood his sin before, the God, before God. But you know what? There were consequences to him, his sin. Um, we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 3, but God said to me, this is David speaking, you shall not build a house for my name because you are a man of war and have shed blood. We're not talking blood in combat. We're talking like murder. And so was David forgiven? Absolutely. Were there consequences? Absolutely. His sin caused a, a scar, a wound, and God said, you know what? You were supposed to build the temple, but because of your sin, because of the blood on your hands, you're forgiven, yes, but this isn't going to happen. And this was an area that I really struggled with with my mom. This was, this was, this was hard. As I became a Christian, I felt compelled to apologize to her. So when I was 19 years old after boot camp, where I, like I, somewhere in there I became a Christian, I know that after boot camp, I felt compelled to write my mom a letter saying that, you know what, I've become a Christian. I forgive you for everything that happened. The last time I'd seen her was when I testified her against her before a judge and a counselor, and I wrote her this letter. And her response back was less than, it, 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 it wasn't, there, there was no, Thank you for forgiving me. Um, the response back was simply, my children were the most disciplined children on the block sort of thing. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, do I, I, no, I feel I still forgive. I forgive her. I'm thankful for her. I'm, I trust God's overarching plan. But then as I continued to live my life, as I continued to grow in Christ, there were, still, there were, there were times about like, no, I need to like, like if I'm a Christian, I need to go like, that means that everything goes back to hunky-dory, that forgiveness means restoration and reconciliation. Everything's fine. And so I forget the holiday, but it was a holiday probably 15 years ago, and I'm like, I'm going to go see my mom. It was before I was married. It was before I had kids. I'm like, well, I'm going to call her. I got her number, and I called her on the phone. I'm like, I'm going to make call her to go have an appointment with my mom, to go meet with her, to, to bring, to, 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 to continually close this gap of forgiveness. And when I called her, it was not like she wanted to see me. And so it's like, okay. And then we just continued. I say we because my wife and I, like as years go by, we would constantly send cards and, and, and do the best. But the thing is, is that the, uh, as far as on my end, I forgave and I was willing. But, th but there were things when abuse and then when kids came along, it was hard. And that's like probably saying more. But so now when I refer to my mom, it's my ex-stepmom. But I think that the point before I have like a counseling session for you guys, <laughs> forgiveness is like a difficult thing. And, and, and so... Our forgiveness, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be fixed. But everything should be fixed in your heart and before God to say, I've forgiven. And I desire reconciliation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that reconciliation, like, you know, a guy who murders your children. It's not like you're not, like, but you can forgive, like, these people in, in, in Charleston, South Carolina, that tr true forgiveness. It doesn't mean that everything's, like, hunky-dory. Um. And I think finally, like, I don't think that we can truly forgive. You know, the, the world talks about forgiveness with no real understanding of forgiveness. We, we truly can't even begin this process of forgiving unless we have truly experienced 
divine forgiveness of our own. Uh, one commentator, w- uh, William Arnott, he, uh, he shares a story um, to help believers understand forgiveness. And so he tells about this guy um, who was down in, who was in Burma, and, and I'm just going to read his account. He says, After fording a river, a traveler in Burma discovered that his body was covered with small leeches, busily sucking his blood. His first impulse was to pull them off, but his servant warned him against it, explaining that to do it, that would leave part of the leeches buried in the skin and cause serious infection. The native prepared a warm bath for the man and added certain herbs uh, to the water that irritated but did not kill the leeches. One by one, they voluntarily dropped off. Uh, Commenting on this, Arnett says this, each unforgiven injury rankling in the heart is like a leech sucking the lifeblood. Mere human determination to have done with it will not cast the evil thing away. You must bathe yourself, bathe your whole being in God's pardoning mercy. And those venomous creatures of unforgiveness will let go of their hold. I think that the point is that God has forgiven us so much. And when we receive this forgiveness and we come to terms with understanding how, how vast his forgiveness is for us, changes us. And so, Father, I pray for each person that's here today. Lord, if they have not received your forgiveness, Lord, that you would open the eyes of their heart, that they would receive it, that they would be transformed and overwhelmed by your forgiveness, by your love. And Lord, as we've received forgiveness, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us, Lord. Lord, we thank you that uh, we're saved by grace, that you're this great, merciful God. And Lord, as we've received this forgiveness, I pray that you would help us um, to, to mirror you, to understand all that you've done for us in Christ on the cross. Help us to get a picture of how much we've been forgiven. Father, the, the wounds that are within us, sometimes they're very deep and very painful. And so, Lord, we come and we ask that you would heal us from these wounds, Father, that you would help us to truly forgive within our hearts those who have wronged us. But sometimes as we forgive, restoration is possible and sometimes there's not. And so, Lord, we just come and we ask that you would help each one of us to examine our heart, that our posture before you would be that we have truly forgiven, that we have let go, that we have trusted um, you um, to handle everything, that we would release uh, these individuals and these people who have hurt us, who have harmed us, that we would release them into your hands, Lord. Father, thank you so much for this forgiveness that you've given us that we have in Christ. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.